Hey guys, welcome to Texas 1031. Uh, we're your hosts Cassie and Hannah, and 1031 is a Houston police code for crime in progress. As you can probably guess, we discuss crimes and mainly murder that occur in Texas. And y'all already know, but if you are new, then go visit our website. It's Texas1031podcast.com. There you'll find all the links to our social media, which are Instagram, Facebook, and where to email us. And then um, as well as links to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and our newest, which is Podbean. Um, Yeah. If you guys are on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe really truly seriously please (laughs) so this episode we are going to let hannah describe what we're doing (laughs) (laughs) okay we're changing it i should have made a separate piece of paper no 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 Uh. i shouldn't depend solely on the paper and then turn off my brain (laughs) okay so um we are premiering our first interview episode for the podcast and it is with the true crime blog cowtown crime um the author of the blog is marguerite butler and um she has We submitted some questions to her, and we're going to read off her answers. Um, Both of us have picked a few that we wanted to talk about personally. So, um, yeah, this is just our interview with Marguerite. Yay. Yeah. And we just were – initially, I was like, is one of us going to play Marguerite? (laughs) (laughs) So we're just going to read off the question and her complete answer. So this is – you know, an easier way because everyone's super busy, so it's so difficult to coordinate. Yeah, actual face to face. Why would you interviews. think that we would be like role playing? I don't know. Now? I I don't know, but I was like, how is that? Not gonna happen. No, yeah. No. Um, what was I gonna say? Oh, sorry if the questions aren't that interesting to everyone. I was really kind of struggling with what to ask her because I didn't want to come across as like too uh stupid i guess <laughs> but i also didn't want it to be like i'm trying too hard to be like oh da, 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 da. but i don't know anyway. well I, I liked her questions okay. I, I read through and like the way marguerite answered like I, hannah gave her questions that allowed her to really expand upon so that's cool. good that's well, good thank interviewing you. thank you you're welcome um cassie's gonna go first oh okay cool well because you wanted to do number one right no that's true i do really like number one <laughs> so we oh. asked <laughs> Marguerite, the author of Cowtown Crime Blog. I feel like I need to have a costume on. So, we asked, what has been the most rewarding experience being a criminal attorney? And Marguerite says, there is one case that has always stood out to me. Not so much the case itself, but for the aftermath. In the 1990s, I tried an aggravated kidnapping and sexual assault that were family violence. If you think those cases are challenging now, they were even harder then. It was a very difficult case, and that may have been the happiest I I ever was to get a guilty verdict. I wanted justice for this victim so bad. She was very young, just 18, and had a rough upbringing. Fast forward several years, and I got a call to come up to to the front desk at our office. This girl had come up to see me. She thanked me for all I had done in her case and told me I had inspired her. No one in her family had ever gotten a college degree, but she went to school and got her degree and she had something else to show me, her admission to law school. She was going to law school and wanted to work with other victims of domestic violence. I broke down crying and she hugged me. Just knowing I had that sort of impact on someone's life means everything. That's way cool. So cool. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I don't know, to, for, I guess to feel like, cause you, 
if you're an attorney in that realm, I feel like you, it's like almost in one ear out the other with cases and victims mm-hmm. sometimes. And especially when you're working your way up in like the district attorney's office and whatnot, you're just taking case after case after case. Yeah. And so to really feel like you made a connection with someone is probably really cool. Yeah. Because so. I think we've talked about before people <coughs> sometimes in this profession, you know, they can get so, it just becomes so mundane, you mm-hmm. know, that they lose their personal connection. Mm-hmm. So that's really neat that like, I mean, this woman that she touched took the time like she literally inspired her life mm-hmm. and that's so cool that's cool <laughs> so neat um so number two was the one you didn't want to do or not you didn't but okay cool never mind no, <laughs> i wanted to do this one uh, was there a specific moment when you realized you wanted to go to law school and or specifically specialize in criminal law so she says, I always wanted to go to law school, but there was one type of law I knew I didn't want to be involved with, and that was criminal law. My dad was a career police officer, and I grew up around cops. I knew how messed up the system was and wanted nothing to do with it. However, when I came out of law school, I didn't did an internship with a DA's office. I had what's called a, quote, bar card which means although I wasn't licensed yet, I could practice with a supervising attorney. Uh, I guess that's kind of like Elwood's in the in yes. Legally Blonde. Yeah. Yeah. Emmett yeah. <laughs> supervised her. There you go. Mm. Um, I tried one criminal case and it was the biggest adrenaline rush. I was completely hooked. I immediately applied to work as a prosecutor and a quarter of a century later, here I still am working within the system. That's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. She's Going from I hate into it. it. Yeah. yeah. Thinking really that you would neat. never want to do that. It's pretty funny to me. Yeah. But Also, this is the second week in, the ro- in a row that we have snuck in a Legally Blonde reference. Yeah. Can we keep doing that? Yeah. Because I love definitely. her. Elwood's everything. <laughs> um, what, did you want to do number three? I can't remember. You told yes. me. But I no, I okay. do like number yeah, three. Yeah, okay, go for it. And also, when you were asking me to star ones, I thought we were like whittling down, so... That's why oh. I picked some that are like da 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 oh, no, row no, no, to no. each other. Yeah, no. Okay. Go for it. Brain is not turned on today. <laughs> so we asked, how was your experience being a female in the field? She says, back when I started, there were a lot of female attorneys, but we were really held to a different standard. A woman had to prove how tough she was. She had to prove how professional she was. And there were a lot of networking opportunities that didn't exist for us. I can say there were definitely times I was treated different, differently, especially after my children came. There weren't any female attorneys that I saw at the top of the heap. I was lucky to find a few good role models. Thankfully, I find it a much more open playing field. Dallas, Tarrant, Travis, and Harris County are all led by female criminal district attorneys now. It's not the old boys club it used to be. I still try to make myself available to the younger female attorneys, and it's always good to have a mentor, and I love teaching. I had no idea that all those counties were run by women. That is so cool. I yeah. did not either. Yeah. That was oh, interesting. Man. Like, even if you don't agree with, like, certain DAs, like, the fact that they're women. Like, not saying I don't agree with any of them, but, you know, that's it's a cool rough to position to be in. in. Yeah. yeah. Women doing shit. That's yeah, cool. Like, definitely. our daughters might see. Well, my daughters. You're not going to have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> my daughters might see, like, more women in power because mm-hmm. of women like Marguerite. Like, yeah. just climbing to the top doing what she can oh that's so neat yay so what spawned your crime blog she says like so many of the women in true crime today i'm a murderino i was always obsessed with crime my mother watched all the true crime shows she was a nurse and my father was a cop we had some interesting dinner conversations you might think i'd get enough talk crime talk at work but wrong 
I'm still fascinated and always will be. Listening to true crime podcasts make me think back to crimes and stories from the past. There are victims and cases that I remember so well, but that people don't know or only know a little about. I wanted to share those, and from there came the idea of a true crime blog dedicated to local cases and victims who deserve to be remembered. I love that. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's kind of maybe where you and I come from a little Mm -hmm. bit, not like directly, but the ones that don't get mentioned. Yeah. You know, and I think that's where we've always stood on wanting to talk about those. Definitely. um, (laughs) What is your, I put in quotes, favorite Texas murder case? So she says, my favorite murder would be the Texas railroad killer. At the time he was killing people, I was a young mother and my husband worked nights. We lived far out in the country, in all caps, near the railroad tracks. (laughs) This sounds like we're reading off a hometown murder, and I kind of feel cool right now. I know. We're, we're cool enough to have <laughs> listeners send stuff in. Not. Wrong. We begged for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> these murders scared the crap out of me. Yeah. Every night, I would hear the train whistle, and I knew how the train slowed near us because of an intersection. There is something so terrifying about the stranger in the night who doesn't want anything except to rape and kill you. Yes, that's a very true yeah. sentence. Yeah. Um, I won't be covering this case because he is really outside the DFW area, but I would love, all caps, for someone else to cover it. Hint, hint. Um, Yes, we probably will here Mm -hmm. in the near future. It's kind of a lengthy one, so um, it might take some more research, but we'll definitely get to it. We Um, call it. Texas 1031 calls it. Oh, yeah. No one else can do it. They probably won't because no one cares. Trademark. Beep. Um, so number six, the question is, besides the courtroom, what do you find to be an intriguing part of the judicial process? She said, I'm fascinated by forensic psychology. Same here, girl. (laughs) Trying to learn what causes one person to commit a crime as opposed to someone with a similar background. There are a lot of people with rough backgrounds and terrible childhoods. Why do some become violent criminals while others don't? What can we do to stop it before it happens? I'm fascinated by the why. Yes. Everyone is. Mm -hmm. And there's so many theories about environmental and social upbringing. And you just, who knows who is right Mm -hmm. these days. So anyway. Um, Number seven, explain the most difficult case you had to be a part of. So years ago, or sorry, she says, years ago, I tried a serial rapist. Gross. He was caught by police with his last victim just after he had killed her. Uh, The things he had done to her were so horrible. He accidentally accidentally suffocated her during the assault, so he was charged with murder. The punishment phase of the trial was testimony from many of the women he had brutalized, and it was just gut-wrenching. Each night after trial, I just wanted to go home and shower. The last, tri- or, sorry, the trial lasted for three weeks. I don't usually get nightmares, but I couldn't sleep during that case. Mm. I do not blame you. No. Dang. Good for those victims. For that's so mm-hmm. hard. So many cases get derailed because the victims can't testify. And yeah. That's, they, I mean, they don't have to, yeah. to testify, but it, you know, it's yeah, good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one's mine too. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Um, <laughs> what advice do you have for aspiring criminal attorneys or people? Wow, I misspelled. Did I misspell advice or did she misspell? I don't advice? know, but it is misspelled. Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> what advice do you have for aspiring criminal attorneys or people wanting to be in the criminal justice field in some way? Uh, she says, I think too many people hone in on criminal justice. In, in, 
I think too many people hone in on a criminal justice major when they look at college. It's more inf- more important to focus on being a well-rounded person. Study something else. Major in business or history or English. Travel and expand your horizon. Every experience helps inform your understanding of the world and will make you a better um, will make you better able to deal with people and lives very different from your own. Also, if someone is looking for the field of the future, digital forensics. If you're computer savvy, that's the future of criminal justice. Good to know. What is digital forensics, you think? Like searching through computer history and stuff like that? Or I have no idea. I didn't look that it sounds up. sounds very interesting. doesn't to me. Really? I don't like computers. I don't. I can't work them very well. <laughs> Clearly, you but, see how good I am every week. But you know, it's it's still it's interesting how the that industry has to change mm-hmm. with the times. And I'm assuming it has to be like. I mean, I shouldn't even go down that rabbit hole of like. <laughs> it's know. just your history on your fucking internet searches. But maybe it is. I don't know. It could be because I I was just listening to last podcast on the left. They covered Casey Anthony. Ugh. Boo! I hate her so much. Um, but Gross. they covered. The mentioned part of the case where um, she used Firefox. Her mother, like most mothers, used Internet Explorer as the browser. Um. And the Firefox history was never delved into. And that's where foolproof suffocation was searched. Wow, I didn't know that. Yep. And the government officials, the people looking at that, they were in her mother's generation. So Internet Explorer was the (gasps) end-all be-all. So I feel like, you know, like the partial, the, the part of technology advancing was lost on them Mm -hmm. and that could have been a turning point in the case and it's like it's very interesting to me that like oh man yeah we got these people that have been doing it for 20 30 years and all of a sudden this new shit comes in they're like what do we do with this yeah how do we do this they have to be retrained i mean that lady is just her case oh sorry i yawned because i was (laughs) like so i can't even she's the worst yeah (laughs) Okay. Anywho, back to Marguerite. So we asked her, in your experience, how have you seen the death penalty benefit or not benefit the inmate population and the crime rates? Marguerite says, I'm very conflicted about the death penalty. There is something inherently barbaric about state-sanctioned death. Naturally, everyone is horrified about the possibility of an innocent person being executed. But even if someone is guilty of murder, does that make us any better if we turn around and kill them? Then there are the monsters. There are the people who have done such heinous, depraved things that maybe they should forfeit their lives. In Buried Alive, I wrote about the Lisa Renee case. I can't get past the way they treated that poor girl, the way they raped and tortured her before murdering her. If anyone deserves the death penalty, those men do. I'd like to think we can keep the world safe by incarcerating such people forever, but what about the other inmates? What about the guards and the correctional workers? They all deserve to be safe, too. Those who behave like worst animals on the outside behave the same way behind bars. We know that rape and murders are an endemic in prison. These are the people preying on other inmates, and we have a duty to protect the inmate population. Yeah. It's a really... I told you before we started that her answer was really good. Yeah. Because, I mean... It's a great point. I told my mom this when she had originally, like, sent this stuff to me, and I was like, dang, I didn't even think about that. And she was like, yeah, me neither. You don't think about... The people who just want to kill are going to kill yeah. whoever, no matter what. And we probably so. don't hear. I'm sure inmate inmate violence, like, that definitely happens. I'm sure inmates and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure the murders happen all the time. We just don't hear about it because people don't care about prisoners, which is a big problem. Or, I mean, I don't know. Other stuff gets 
pushed to the head of the news pile or yeah. whatever. Like so. a Trump tweet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting mm-hmm. answer. I like that. So our last answer. Question. Question. And answer. And answer. <laughs> what is a common myth that the country might believe about the judicial system that you'd like to dispute? Marguerite says, I think there is a misconception misconception that our goal is to incarcerate people punishment is only one of the goals public safety is a huge part of what we are what we are there for and that means trying to keep people from offending again we have a lot of diversion programs aimed at keeping people out of jail we have programs aimed at veterans youthful offenders batterers and intervention the mentally ill the homeless drug and alcohol addicted addiction theft intervention sex offenders you name it but those only work as much as people want them. We can't make someone change. Some people don't want to change. Some people aren't ready yet. I've had so many defendants actively fight being sent into rehab programs. Once they go to prison, that doesn't mean treatment isn't still available. There are so many programs in place, including intensive sexual offender and drug and alcohol treatment. And she gives us a list or a link to the um, TDCJ state website um, that we will post. But Continuing, she says, so treatment exists, but with mixed success. As I said, some people won't or can't change. Then there's the dilemma of domestic violence and sexual offenders. In my experience, they are the most manipulative and resistant to change. If you think about it, their entire criminal process is manipulation. Domestic abusers gaslight their victims. Sexual predators groom theirs. Both involve twisting perceptions and mentally conditioning victims to accept accept the abuse. When someone has a drug addiction, it's expected that even after a period of sobriety, they will slip and at some point use. That's okay. They can recommit to sobriety and start anew. What about if a sexual offender slips and reoffends? That's not okay. If I can keep that offender locked up, I know he isn't out preying on children. Balancing mercy against protection can be tricky. So this is my hot button, as you can see. There's so much offered in the way of counseling and therapy that the public has no idea exists. True, I don't. Mm -hmm. What I think needs to change is intervention long before people get into the system. Amen. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't take getting criminal charges for someone to get state-sponsored rehab. That goes for mental health as well. Whoops, I I fucked up her words, but, you know, (laughs) the same goes for mental health. (laughs) You fucked it up. She continues, we are on the verge of taking it seriously as a society, and it's about time. And she finishes with, thanks for letting me ramble on. I hope this isn't too boring. No um, way. No. no. So not boring. Definitely not. Not that to us, like, not to our listeners. Yeah. That was the, great. The best answer because we totally agree. I was sitting there mm-hmm. thinking, oh my God, how many times have we talked about yep. this? Mental health, mental health, something, something, mental health. And I'm glad she sent us that link because we yes. fall in the category of people that don't, don't know. know about these programs. We sit here and bitch constantly. We Why do? don't they do anything yeah. while they're in prison? Blah, blah, yeah. blah. So that's definitely something we need to look up and yes. become more aware of. And thank you, Marguerite, for allowing that to happen. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was great questions. I wish we, you know, had the resources to coordinate an in-person interview. But instead, you have to deal with a lot of our talking. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, anyway, her Instagram is Cowtown Crime Blog. Um, website cowtowncrime.com and again she just specifies in DFW true crime cases that either she knows about or that she actually was personally involved in as a criminal attorney um, I will be posting all of her questions and an- or my question our, our questions and her answers whatever to the website 
That's all we have to say. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. So I guess we close it out yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> so, guys, thanks for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this special episode. Thank you, guys. Uh, if anyone's listening, <laughs> happy, happy Halloween. Halloween. <laughs>